Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. Hello, Jillian coming at you just to share a little bit about what you are about to listen to. So this episode is a rebroadcast of episode number 49, which originally came out in January of last year. And we thought that self-compassion is such an important skill, an important tool for you to have in your toolbox that we wanted to rebroadcast this to set you up for success. No matter what your goals are, self-compassion is going to be part of like the glue that holds everything together. And I know we can all improve our self-compassion practice. I know the three of us, this is something that we consistently work at and can always get better at. I will let you know if you are not a huge fan of hearing us ramble on about Keanu Reeves, you can skip to minute 14 or 15 of this episode and we will get right into the topic of self-compassion. If you are not already following us on whatever podcast player you're listening to, please make sure you do that. And if you want to take a second to leave us a rating or review, that would be amazing. I'm going to be quiet now and let you get into this episode, a rebroadcast of our episode on self-compassion and happy new year. So we have a special guest. So I'm thinking that we will forego the dad joke in lieu of the specialist guest um, to share something. So to give uh, an in- a, sort of a little intro to this episode, we're going to talk about self-compassion today, which is something that I feel like, so this is going to be episode number 49, and we sp- have spent probably 48 episodes mentioning the importance of self-compassion <laughs> in every episode. So I think it's only appropriate that this episode, which is going to be one of the first ones, if you're listening to this in real time, it's going to be one of the first ones of, I always want to say 2022, which makes no sense in English, 2022 in English. Um, And to kick off this very special episode, my grandmother is here. My very spry, uh, alert, bright 95 year old grandmother is here to share something with us say hello grandma hello can you hear me we can hear you (laughs) we have a question for you grandma that I think could be very helpful as we head into this episode about self-compassion um Holly would you like to ask the question yes uh what is your top piece of advice for for a young lady in the world today can I twist that a little bit you can put it the other way another way As I've got older, it happens to me a lot and to my contemporaries. People kind of, young people kind of look at, they think you're worthless as if you don't know anything. You're not, haven't experienced the life they've experienced. You can't understand them. And that's not true because every single thing that has happened to any of you has happened to, well, I won't say little details, but our lives have been the same, have followed the same route. We've all been babies, we've all been children, we've all been young women, young men, we've had love affairs, we've had experiences the same way as you. And when, and as you get older, you may forget things, a lot of my friends forget everything, but, 
at the same time, you gather a lot of wisdom and you can see things in a different way. And the most respect any young person can give to an old person is to value their experiences. And there are some people that when they talk to you, they look as if what you're saying to them is valuable and others kind of shrug you off as if to say, what's she talking about? And it's really demeaning. It's not nice at all. And so that would be my advice. Think, don't treat a person just because they're old. Treat them as you find them, as they are, and that they're, they may know what they're saying. They can remember their lives at your age as well. And, and that's how I feel about it. I think that it's very important to respect everybody for what they give you in at the time. Thank you for that, Grandma. Thank you. One of the things that's made me like this, it, more independent, is I don't, I like to work things out for myself. I don't accept help willingly. I'll find a way around my difficulties. If I were to just let go, and if somebody offers to do something, as Gillian offered today, I said, no, I'll do it myself. If When she's not here, there's nobody to offer. So I find a way round. For instance, I have problems with my hands at the moment, but I do everything. I even shorten my own trousers. It takes me hours to thread the needles, but that's it. I'm not taking them to a tailor shop. And if you can keep doing that, just keep doing things for yourself. Unfortunately, it's not possible. If your body fails, brain, if you get dementia, it's not possible. But while you can, just get on with it and find a way around things and do for yourself. Thank you very much. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Bye-bye. Good luck. Sweet. That was some good wisdom. That was some good yeah. wisdom to start the show with. I, I definitely think at the end there where she's just like, just get on with it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty, I think it's really interesting because it sh- it's like a level of, I mean, we talk about, and this will come up with self-compassion is like, we talk about kind of knowing when to do things on your own, when to push through and also when like maybe not to push through. But I think like that tenacity and the resilience is, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible considering like my grandma's literally on her own now and she does everything for herself. And that's where it's very contextual with these things, right? It could be, it could be like, you know, not asking for help is, is sometimes not a sign of like bravery and courage, but it's, you know, you, you can ask for help, but in circumstances like with your grandma, it's like, this is something that she's doing to keep her mind going, to keep her body going. It's like, can I actually do this? And giving herself the opportunity to try and work things out before asking for help. So I think that that's, yeah, all these things are very contextual. What's going on with you guys? What is going on? I'm on a break from school and it's the best. And I had a day of joy of playing games and skateboarding with my brother and it was awesome. Cool. That's, that's my life right now. That sounds like a really, I love what you said. You're like, I just had a day of joy of playing games and skateboarding with my brother. I mean, 
how many over 30s say that? That's a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. I washed my hair for the first time in probably over a week. So <laughs> oh, I feel that. Yeah. It's it, my, my hairdresser had to tell me, she's like, can you wash your hair at least once a week? And I was like, oh, if I have to, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's really funny though, is I actually, I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine who I've literally known my entire life. Like we met when I was like three months old and she, I think was like 10 months old. And we were talking a little bit about how structure can give you freedom. And so it's so interesting because Holly, you just said that you had a pure that day of like pure joy. And I imagine that at no point during that day, did you feel like, oh gosh, I should be doing something else really? Because you, you have your schedule so clear and you have things organized in a sense that even if that thought popped into your head of like, oh, I should be doing X, you had the, the confidence to say, actually, like I shouldn't because I know what my commitments are and I know what I need to be doing to be productive. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that I find structure very helpful. And I think we've talked about this before, but when I was first trying to like tone things down and reduce stress levels, I would have to just schedule in chunks of time into my day of like, like do nothing here. Like don't Mm. like, this is a blank space. Don't put anything here because my tendency was so much to fill up the day with like quote unquote productive um, things. And that just contributed to burnout. Right. And so yes there is freedom in in scheduling and freedom and structure if you use it in that kind of way where it's like okay cool let me just get things out of my brain so that then when I do have that like unstructured time I know I know it's unstructured for a reason and I know there's like I'm not missing anything um but it can go the other way and that means that there is less stress right like I I wrote a post about this about fitness the other week where it's like if you've been following like a program most of the time, then you actually have wiggle room and you have margins in your life to like do, a, you know, everyone talks about how bad it is to do like a random workout and stuff like that. It's like, no, you can actually do that stuff and it still can be actually helpful for what you're doing because mentally you're giving yourself a break. Um, and it's, uh, I, I just love that quote of like, what you do uh, most of the time matters most. Yeah. If you are most of the time, you're kind of like, you know, you've got, and and your body and your mind loves like homeostasis, right? Like it likes to know what is actually going on, but to give yourself flexibility and do different things is just as beneficial, like do random things or off the cuff things is just as beneficial as, having structure but then doing too much off the cuff stuff it can also be equally stressful and and just on that is like the conversation that I was having with my friend she has two young like really young kids and her work is very flexible like she is an executive assistant and so she can basically just like can do things where they fit in which in theory as a as a mom that has two kids young kids at home that's perfect but she was saying that like that lack of structure And that level of flexibility actually makes her feel like she's not productive and makes her feel like she's working 24 seven, even though she isn't. And so we had a really interesting discussion about like, cause that used to be what happened for me before I became a bit more structured in my time is that I felt like I quote unquote should be doing something all the time instead of actually knowing what I needed to do, doing it. And then feeling like I could relax when I was meant to relax because I actually had everything taken care of so yeah I just thought that that was really really interesting and with that 
Uh, that wasn't a good segue, but should we segue? Yeah, just do it. Sometimes sometimes we segue smoothly and sometimes we just like jump from one cliff to the other cliff. And then it's like just... hard left. Yeah. It's like yeah. hard left. Jumping from another cliff. Oh my gosh, the new Matrix movie is coming out. Um, I'm, I'm going to go see it. I'm definitely going to go see it. I'm not it. going to miss a Keanu Reeves movie, basically. Like if Keanu Reeves is in it, I'll, I will go see it no matter what it is. Keanu, uh, this is another tangent, but Keanu Reeves is like the best human. He's just a great what? human. He do, do you know about Keanu Reeves? He just like he keeps a low profile all the time. He lives in like yep. a completely normal apartment in New York, not like a fancy house or anything. He takes the subway around and like says nice things to people in the subway. He gives loads of his money to charity and doesn't doesn't say anything about it. Like people will every now and again will release like a report where they're like, and by the way, Keanu Reeves donates like millions of dollars to these five charities. Just like he just casually does it because he likes to. And on his birthday, he like went to a cafe in New York, had coffee, and then just, like, let people take photos with him all day, like, just, and, and like, wrote them nice messages. Like, he's, he's like, a gem of a human. Um, it's a shame he's not that great of an actor. He plays, like, one yeah. role. Luckily, it's, like, a, an okay role. It's quite um, demure, so, you know, it carries across into a lot demure of different Demure is the perfect word. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen John Wick, but I'm also, like, a, a big fan of the John Wick um essentially doesn't talk the entire film no yeah he just runs around shooting people and like befriending dogs yeah it's it's great casual super casual Um, i uh this is like a complete something it's just related to keanu reeves pretty much but um Edward went through this thing last year of just like buying t-shirts he just likes why did i know that that was where this was going (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know but he bought a whole lot of like hip-hop t-shirts mainly because I was pregnant and I was like nothing's fitting me so he was, he was buying me all these like hip-hop t-shirts and then it turned into um uh point break t-shirts so we share we have about five point break t-shirts um that we wear he was wearing one just yesterday um with Patrick Swayze on it like doing a peace time <laughs> Uh, <laughs> point break is just so good so yeah keanu reeves is just and speed oh my god speed like speed is a, is a, yeah it's a great film i yeah, it's a great but... film not necessarily because of keanu reeves acting i'm being really hard on keanu right now he's fantastic the I matrix know. is literally one of my favorite movies yeah matrix is matrix is incredible i'm really excited for the new one like yeah i hope that the cinema situation is okay i want to go see it in the cinema yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, I don't know, topping the Matrix, you know? I mean, the Matrix is like Oh, you can't, you cannot go into it and expect So it I did read a review. Movie. I did read a review that said it was really good. Um, And it was, it. and usually reviews are like not very good. Like usually reviews like, like just totally rip them apart. And this review was really good, but it could just be someone that really loves the Matrix. So you never know. I really derailed us there. That was, I really, yeah, really best derail ever. No, yeah. it's very, I'm glad we went down that I'm gonna, road. I'm going to steer the ship back over to the center. <laughs> and today we are going to be talking about self-compassion and how to start practicing it. We're going to do a little bit of defining. So helping you understand like, what is this self-compassion that people keep talking about? Um, understanding sort of what makes up a, a self-compassionate experience in the world. 
And then understand how you can start building this skill because it is a skill. It isn't just something that you decide to do and all of a sudden it appears and all of a sudden it is who you are. Um, it is something that it is a skill that you get to build. And I say get to build, not have to build because you get to do this for yourself. Yeah, and I mean, you'll you'll get through life without it. It just yeah. probably won't be, it probably just won't be as as joy-filled a life as it may otherwise be. Yeah, and I think that this um, episode is really important because like Jillian mentioned at the beginning, you know, we, we talk about self-compassion a lot. And um, I think there's a lot of stuff kind of on social media as well that kind of mentions self-compassion, but it, it is kind of one of these terms or one of these things that you might see, but it's like, how do I actually do this? And what does it actually mean? So this episode is going to be um, talking about exactly that. Totally. And I think one of the reasons this topic is so near and dear to our hearts is because all of us majorly struggled with this. And mm -hmm. I think that all of us will probably say that 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 struggling with self-compassion was one of the things that pushed all of us to burn out both physically and mentally and led all of us to have like hormone and health and mental health stuff that we then had to work our way back through. And so the reason that we're talking about self-compassion is because for all of us, once we were able to work on and develop that skill, the quality of life change that we experienced was so massive that it's something that we want to give to all our clients and we want to give it to you guys as well. And just to be very clear, you probably are already practicing compassion. So you've got half of it. You've got like half of this thing down. You probably are a very compassionate person, I would imagine. Most of us are, are compassionate. Um, some of us aren't. But I would say you listening to this episode right now are probably a fairly compassionate person. So now let's look at how we can take the compassion that you have for others and how to turn that inwards and actually practice that towards yourself. And the cool thing is, if that treating others is really important to you, in treating yourself with more compassion, you'll actually find more joy and more fulfillment in treating others really well. Totally. Um, and we'll start off with just some quick definitions of compassion and of self-compassion, and then we'll break it down a little bit. So the word compassion itself literally means to suffer with. Uh, and, and that's basically what we're doing, right? So the the steps in feeling compassionate to, towards someone or feeling compassion for someone is basically involving you having an awareness of other people and their feelings, noticing that someone else is suffering, being moved by that suffering, feeling some kind of warmth or caring or like the desire to help someone move past that, um, offering that person understanding and kindness where they don't have it for themselves uh, if they failed or made a mistake. And very rarely, if you're feeling compassion to someone, very rarely you running over and going like, wow, you suck. You know, like there's normally very little judgment in there and there's no harshness involved. Um, and helping them realize that their suffering and failure and imperfection is just like part of being a human. And I'm sure if I was to ask you like to think of a time where you've shown that compassion to a friend, you would find it very easy to think of and you'd probably be able to notice all of those stages in yourself. So if we're then defining self-compassion, same thing, all those same steps we just mentioned, but applying it to yourself. So it's acting the same way towards yourself when you're having a difficult time or when you fail or when you notice something that you'd like to change about yourself. Yeah, I find it really, really interesting that it's 
that we, we, we hold ourselves to like a different standard than we hold other people to for some reason. For some reason, when someone else trips up, when someone else is struggling with something, when someone else is having a hard time, we often find it so much easier to forgive that person for whatever struggle they're going, they're going through than it is to forgive ourselves. And if you don't, if you find that you tend to judge others for their misgivings, I imagine that you're also extremely hard on yourself for your own misgivings. Because we often see the thing, so often the things that bother us about other people are things that we see reflected in ourselves and that's why they feel so triggering. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of moving on to the, the elements of self-compassion, these are really, really fascinating. Um, I'll just start out kind of explaining the, the first one, and that is the, the concept of self-kindness versus self-judgment. When you think about judgment, so judgment is essentially, essentially drawing a conclusion, right? So judgment is, this is good, this is bad, yes or no, black or white. And so self-kindness is the kind of the opposite of that. It's very, it's very gray. And the gray area, like we've talked about so many times on this podcast, feels scary. The gray area doesn't feel that comfortable. And that's why, you know, Olivia always talks about the messy middle. And, and this self-kindness comes from acknowledging that imperfection, that that black or white actually doesn't exist. It comes from acknowledging that part of the, 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 con the human condition is never reaching absolute zero or the opposite end of the spectrum either. There is no perfect or, or completely terrible. It's all some shade of gray. And one of, one of the most incredible things that I think that we can do for ourselves is acknowledge that there is no absolute truth or absolute judgment. There is always going to be, like the answer is always going to be somewhere along the spectrum. And so when we can start practicing self-kindness and realize that, and, and, and realize that even when we feel like, hey, maybe that wasn't the best decision I could have made. Like, how can I be kind to myself so that I can learn from this rather than feel terrible about it? Because I did a post on this so long ago, I need to revive this post. Is like, guilt is a really shitty motivator, period. So yeah, I think an example of this is, you know, maybe you had a really hard week with when with food you you had this plan you know monday started you're like i'm gonna meal prep this week um i you know i'm gonna do my best to to stay away from takeout or whatever that is maybe that was your goal and maybe you didn't do that and so self-judgment would be telling yourself i'm a i'm bad i'm a bad person i didn't i didn't do this well i'm really ashamed of myself i can't believe i did this and self-kindness would be acknowledging that you had a difficult week many things went wrong acknowledging that Maybe this wasn't what you had planned, but it's okay. And you can do better next time, potentially. Right. And an important part of that is the accepting the imperfection part, right? It's not saying to yourself like, oh, it's still perfect that I did that. It, it doesn't, it's not that it has to have been, it's not that all of your actions have to be the right actions. It's not that you have to like take all of them and go, whatever I've done was right for that situation. You're allowed to look at it and go, cool, like that actually wasn't right for this situation. Maybe it was, maybe part of self-kindness is looking at it and going, you know what, in the context of my week, that is the best I could have done, like that's fine. But it could also be looking at it and going, cool, in the context, in the context of my week, that wasn't the best I could have done. Cool, like why, would, why was it that way? Like why was that what I opted for? 
And by accepting the imperfection and going like, okay, cool. Like I can still do better next week. It doesn't have to be perfect. It can be an improvement. It's very different. And if we stop fighting the reality, like if we stop fighting the idea that I must be a specific way and that's the way that's perfect and anything that isn't that is incorrect, uh, that takes us a big step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, talking about imperfections, leads really nicely into the second element of self-compassion, which is common humanity versus isolation. And the idea of this is that we are all humans. And when we are kind of thinking of um, just ourselves as just having this like experience and feeling really isolated with our own problems and maybe catastrophizing and things like that, it can feel very, very lonely, but the definition of, you know, being a human is that we are kind of imperfect, you know, and we are vulnerable kind of beings and everyone is going through um, similar kind of things, maybe in expressed in a different way, um, but having suffering as part of the human experience and it's part of all of the emotions that as humans we experience that it's not always a positive thing that we have going on so um when we can understand that we are part of a you know bigger thing and we're not alone and being the only one suffering then we can feel kind of like less isolated with how we're feeling that can make more room for more compassion. We can have more compassion for others um, and more kind of connected connectedness with other people in that shared suffering. Um, and so that, yeah, that just creates when we realize that we are part of many people experiencing the same thing, it opens up more space for acceptance, curiosity, mindfulness, non-judgment and all of these things to help us move through suffering totally and that's where social media for example can feed into both of these things right so if the way we curate our social media is other people's highlight reels and we feel like we're suffering but what we're scrolling through is highlight reels of other people's lives and achievements that can make us feel very isolated and that can feed into us feeling like resentment towards other people like why do they have it that way why is my life like this um it can also make us feel ashamed that uh we're not able to do all these like crazy achievements that everyone else is doing like why are we the only ones struggling um so like if, if we treat social media that way it can be dangerous if we use social media for feeding into that common humanity and if what's on our feed is people who are open and honest about ups and downs um, not like fake vulnerability, but like true actual sharing um, or finding groups uh, on the internet that are going through similar issues to you. Uh, you know, like for us, for example, finding like hypothalamic amenorrhea groups when we were going through that was incredibly empowering. So it was like, oh yeah, like I'm not the only one going through this. And oh, we're not even like the only three going through this. Like there's a whole community out there around it. It can be really helpful. Because when you feel like you're the only one going through it, uh, it traps you in it. I think we talked a lot before about like shameless in the dark, right? Yeah. This, so this is exactly what I was going to talk about because Brene Brown talks about this all the time where it's like overcoming shame. A lot of it has to do with not living with the fact that like I am the only one that's suffering with this. 
because that feels, it feels really shameful when you feel like you're alone because you feel like no one else can connect with the thing that I'm suffering with right now. And so I'm going to hide it because I feel like this is an imperfection. This is, this is something, you know, I, sh I feel guilty for it. I shouldn't feel this way. And that help that, that sort of like helps the shame monster grow right? The shame monster grows in the shade. And when we start to open ourselves up and have conversations, and we've talked about this on multiple podcasts, how a lot of the time, just talking to someone else about what you're going through or what they're going through can actually really help normalize whatever that thing is. Yeah. And, you know, suffering, if we think about suffering, which is when we don't have compassion for ourselves, right? Suffering comes from pain having pain and not accepting the pain so suffering is when pain is denied it's avoided um it's renounced you know and so when we can kind of come into that collective and and feel like I'm still working through something and I'm still suffering and this is a thing that I'm actually experiencing but I'm not the only one that is experiencing suffering this expression of then we can feel less alone with that um, and yeah, that is just part of that, um, humanity thing, right? Totally. Yeah. And it, that feeds into the last kind of section of self-compassion, which is our mindfulness versus over-identification piece. And the main thing here is really developing a balanced approach to emotions. And that's why that acceptance of pain rather than renouncement of pain is so important. And a big part of this is learning how to process negative emotions and like how often do we talk about that but we have to be willing to sit with it and we have to also be able to put our experiences into a larger perspective which partly is that common humanity piece but it's also uh partly just zooming out of the moment sometimes like sometimes it's great to be in the present and sometimes it's too much and sometimes we have to like look outside of that precise moment and really what we're looking for with mindfulness is the balance between experiencing emotion um, without exaggerating and uh, like catastrophizing emotion. Yeah, I think a really interesting way that I, I heard um, mindfulness explained is noticing without becoming too over-involved, right? Yes. Because I think that when you notice, for example, you are feeling angry and you notice, oh, I'm feeling angry. If you were to tell yourself, don't be angry, that's not actually going to make you not be angry. But if you notice, you say, I am angry and it doesn't become this big issue of like, oh my gosh, I am angry. I'm noticing I'm angry. This is a problem. What can I do about it? But simply I am angry. Interesting. What is the reason behind that can be sort of the next step there or where did this come from? Or simply I am angry and that's all right. And I can move on with my life and understand that, you know, one thing that Susan David, who we've talked about a million times on this podcast talks about is that your emotions are not or your thoughts are not directions, they are simply information. And so you can have the thought, I am angry. And that doesn't mean that you need to yell or scream or act out or do anything. You can decide those things, but you don't have to. And I think that that's such a beautiful way to understand mindfulness, especially in relationship to our emotions. Right, and it's about not personalizing emotions, right? It's like you can have the emotion, but emotions aren't who you are. Um, and so like you can you can have the emotion of anger you can you can feel that you're angry without deciding to then be angry like they don't have to be the same thing and so mindfulness really is that idea of being able to like observe thoughts 
and accept them as they are without like trying to force them to change, but also not like trying to bottle them up. And I think that's something a lot of people might be like, oh yeah, cool. Like I'm really good at controlling my emotions. I notice that I'm angry and I don't do anything about it. And I completely ignore it. And that's also not what it's about. It's about like the acceptance and the engaging with it, but the engaging with it might be letting it pass or it might be asking why, um, but it's not shoving it away. To be fair, like just a really quick note here um, is anybody that's listening to that and to this and they're like, holy crap, that sounds really difficult. It is. It takes time. It takes mm. effort. This is not something that you listen to a podcast. You're like, I'm an expert at this, but this is an introduction to what is possible. Just side note. There's an acronym that Tara Brack talks about. So we, a lot of the stuff that we talk about with self-compassion is based on the work by um, uh, Kirsten, is it Kirsten? Kristen. Kristen, yeah, Kristen. Kristen. Dr. Kristen, Kristen Neff. Neff. So, um, I actually came across this like idea of self-compassion years ago when I started like really getting into kind of like meditation. I was like quite sort of in, um, explorative with like Buddhism and stuff for a while. And um, Tara Brack was someone that I came across many years ago and she talks about self-compassion. She has and an she, amazing- She comes um, from a really Buddhist perspective, right? Yes, but yeah. she's like a lecturer at a university. Um, and I think, she- I think she's a psychology a, professor. Yeah. And she mm. talks a lot about um, radical acceptance and stuff like mm. that. But self-compassion is a big part of her work as well. And she has this acronym, which is RAIN. Um, and that stands for R, recognize what is going on. A, allow the experience to be there as is. So that's your acceptance. Um, I, investigate. So this is your curiosity, right? Investigate with interest and care. Um, and N is nurture with self-compassion. Um, and I think that that is a, that's something that I've shared with my clients over and over and over again as a, just an acronym to kind of like come back to as when you are getting like caught up in things is to be like, okay, cool. Like, how can I just kind of simplify this? And she has amazing, um, she has like a podcast, but it's mainly just her lectures. Um, and she's got amazing, amazing lectures. And she's kind of like Brene Brown-ish where she, puts words together that just make sense. Um, but I think that just, you know, further to what Jillian was saying about challenging those things of like, it can feel really hard when your thoughts are going, you know, going crazy. It's like, I need to have self-compassion. Like, how do I actually do this? Something really practical and logical that you can do is, um, you know, think of, this is a process that I kind of go through, which I find helpful, is think of a real life example that contradicts that thought that you're having um and this is like you know a cognitive behavioral therapy kind of stuff as well um what do you get from what do you gain from choosing to go against those thoughts is that thought fear-based and when you challenge your thoughts in this way you can sort of start to start to bring in self-compassion because you can start to see kind of the truth in things and start to move into that acceptance I love that. I love that. And I think that brings us to kind of the, the, the structure that we want to offer as a possibility for getting started with self-compassion and kind of step zero is, is really acknowledging that this is important. And I think that the reason why this is step zero is because we often get very stuck in this belief that being a perfectionist or being an overachiever or being hard on ourselves is the only way that we can achieve because we live in a society that has taught us that achievement equals worthiness is certain there are certain things that we believe 
that make us more or less worthy rather than believing that simply being is worthiness. And so if you are, if you are listening to this and you have not yet acknowledged that self-compassion is useful or can be beneficial to you, it's going to be quite hard to actually effectively, sincerely, and honestly put this into practice. And so all that we can ask you to do is to be open-minded and understand that you can always go back to what you were doing before. If you, you're like, you know what, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to dive into self-compassion and really start working on putting it in practice. And you realize like, actually, I was way better off being a perfectionist. Awesome. Go back to being a perfectionist. We're not here to tell you otherwise, but give this an honest, real effort and understand that it is vulnerable to do this because doing something different opens you up to the possibility of failure. And if you are a diehard perfectionist, you are very, very worried about failure and what that says about you as a person. And I will tell you right now, all three of us will tell you right now that failure says absolutely nothing about your worth as a person. And in fact, failure is 100% part of the process that I have had in my life. Holly's had, Olivia's had, literally anyone that you admire in any way has failed many times. And it is not their achievements that make them. It is how they have come back after a failure, how they handle those failures. And I'll get off my high horse now. <laughs> <laughs> all we need for step zero is a crack. We just need a, a crack in the, in the self-criticism, like a, just a small little slice of the pie to try something. It doesn't need to be that you're like, cool, I completely convinced by self-compassion. I'm all in, like, let's go. It just needs to be like a, I still think that self-criticism works for me, but I'm willing to give like 5% of my effort over to this. Okay, that's great. Like that's enough to then go through the other steps where it's just an exploration. And and the rest of the steps are just an exploration. Okay, it's like, it's an experiment. So the, the step after step zero where you've gone, cool, I can see that perhaps even maybe there's some small chance that self-compassion might work for me. You might be there, you might be like, yeah, self-compassion sounds like the way I'm in. Cool, like either of those work. And then our first step is really just to build an awareness of your own suffering. You're probably quite good, as Julie mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you're probably someone who's quite good at being there for your friends or being there for your clients or being there for colleagues or whatever else it is. And you're probably quite good at noticing suffering, discomfort, pain in other people and stepping in to try and be there. So the first step is identifying that in yourself. Like we're, we're quite programmed to ignore it. We kind of like, have these little pain points or have these little suffering points in ourselves, and we kind of go like oh quick like paste that over like fill in it's the not important and, like, enough to focus yeah, on right exactly. now exactly like yeah. just get on get on get on with it um and so first we need to practice becoming aware of our own suffering and accepting that so that we can then move on to dealing with it with self-compassion but if we don't have the awareness of our pain in the first place we can't be compassionate about it and with that noticing and acknowledging our suffering, I think that sometimes um, what can happen when people start to kind of experiment with this stuff and start to be aware of this stuff is the judgment comes in layers. So it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm noticing that I'm in pain right now. I'm noticing I'm having this experience and I'm feeling like this, but then the, there can be this judgment of like, 
um, maybe, but I'm still feeling like this and I'm not able to have self-compassion for myself. And this still feels really hard, even though I'm aware of this stuff. So it's continuing to remind yourself of like no judgment through this process, like through step zero, step one or step two um, of what we're talking about is to even pick up on that judgment and being like, it's cool. Like I'm all good. And, and I think that removing judgment is actually really difficult because we're like, well, if I take that away, what do I have? And mm. I think that this is where it's like, well, if I take that away, what you have is curiosity. And so if you are currently judging something and that is black or white, yes or no, curiosity is not, is not, is not defining it. Curiosity is asking why. Curiosity is trying to understand why, where this comes from, um, what the reasons for it could be and actually opening yourself up to, to kind of any, any outcome there, or any, not any outcome, but any response, right? Because with judgment, you've already closed yourself off. You've already said, I know what this is. And curiosity opens you up to saying, I maybe don't know what this is yet. That's, yeah, I wanted to make that exact point, Julian. The way I often like to frame it to people um, is, uh, if we're looking for self-growth here, right? Like everyone who's listening to this podcast is probably looking for like a form of self-growth and like a change and a movement towards a better version of themselves. And a judgment is closed, as Julian just said, a judgment is closed. It doesn't offer you an avenue to keep moving in any direction. You've made the you've made the decision, you've made the judgment, you now stop and you stop moving. Curiosity leaves so much open that then you've got all these pathways that now you can like keep moving forward with. And that's why we want it. That's why we want the curiosity instead of judgment. And what's, ne what's next after you, after you've started getting curious, well, you get the opportunity to learn how to care for yourself. And this is why, this is why, honestly, when I look back on some of the, the things I've said about self-care, I understand now why it, it why it maybe didn't make so much sense for people in the moment because we have, we have drawn judgment on what we believe self-care to be. And the fact is, is that self-care is like, is like a river. It can change at any time, right? It ebbs and flows. What you need right now might be different than what you need six months from now, but also understanding that there are certain parts, like a river, there are certain parts of self-care that are probably going to be pretty similar over the course of your life. And so learning to care for yourself is both understanding like, what are my basic needs, but also how do I become flexible enough so that I can recognize these things in the moment and be, be flexible enough to give myself more or less or different or not so different when I need them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then we wanted to give people, as we always do with this, give people like some tools that they can go away and use. Um, and I mean, we'll talk through some, um, we can put in the show notes, a link to Kristen Neff's website. And she has like a, a page of free uh, self-compassion exercises. And personally, I take them and I tend to like rearrange them a little bit. So they're more relevant to my clients sort of, sort of food and body image stuff, but I think they still work. And one of the ones that I really like people to start with is the she has an exercise called like, how would you treat a friend? And it's just the best. It's like the best exercise to illustrate why self-compassion is helpful. And it's basically going through like thinking about a tough time a friend has had, how you reacted in that moment. And then looking at yourself and working out how would you talk to yourself in that moment? And also why, like, what are you afraid of happening if you were to treat yourself 
in the same way that you treat the friend. And when you can highlight the fear that's holding you back from self-compassion, like, oh man, it opens up so much. Um, And also writing down the way you talk to yourself is so much harder than thinking it. And when you write down the way you talk to yourself, sometimes you're like, whoa, like, wow, I would not talk to anyone else this way. When you're thinking it, it seems insignificant because it's fleeting. But when you've written it down on paper, you're like, oh, I mean, and that like that exercise is just great. Yeah, I really like that as well. Um, Something, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of extending compassion to other people and what you're saying, Holly, about the treat the friend, treat a friend exercise. Um, Something that I found really helpful when I was like starting this whole thing for helping me develop self-compassion myself. And it's actually something that I draw on all the time when I'm actually having a hard time with other people is I always think to myself, like put, put yourself, it's so cliche, but um, put myself in their shoes. So if there is someone that is kind of like, um, you know, saying something that I don't agree with, or is like rubbing me the wrong way. I, th- I did this with my dad the other day. I was like, put yourself in his shoes. And um, that is how I have been able to extend compassion to myself so much because I do that for other people. So when I'm in that situation, I put myself in his shoes for why he is maybe feeling defensive about something or the way that he's speaking about something. And I'm like, man, I feel really sorry for you that you're not able to, um, you're not able to, you don't have the, the, you know, emotional intelligence or something like that to express yourself in a different way. And that this is feeling really hard for you. Um, and so it sounds really complicated, but when other people are doing things to me, which are making me upset, I have compassion for them. And that helps me have more compassion for myself. Just by kind of like a put yourself in your own shoes in those in yeah. your situations, right? Like the same exactly. way you'd be like, let me put myself in their shoes. It's like, oh, let me just put myself in my own shoes for a second. Right. Like, so it's kind of like the opposite of like, how would you treat a friend of like, think yeah. about how a friend would be thinking about you yeah. and what they would be saying to you. Awesome. So it, it's so interesting that you said that, Olivia, because that is something that actually has helped me so much in my communication skills with others. And it not just like, not just with clients, but also like in my really close relationships is, is actually giving myself the opportunity to think, how is this person perceiving, perceiving the situation right now? And that weirdly enough is like, helps me under like be flexible with myself when I perceive a situation a certain way, because I think that often we get stuck in this, like, in this belief of there is only one right way to react to a situation. Like I did this, the correct reaction is this and understanding that there is no correct reaction because the exact same thing could happen to us when we were feeling different, the weather was different, we slept differently and the reaction would be totally different. And that actually really helps. I think it helps a lot with cognitive flexibility which I think cognitive flexibility is probably a really helpful component of practicing self-compassion. Yeah. And if we just, you know, just to wrap up this kind of like idea and then we'll move on is that if we think about compassion being the antidote to suffering. So if we're in a, you know, conversation with someone or relationship with someone and we're suffering because of what someone else is doing, then we can have that compassion for other people and we relieve our own suffering. That doesn't mean that we 
let people like walk over us or, you know, be cruel to us or anything like that. I mean, that's kind of very contextual, but we can relieve our own suffering from other people by having compassion for other people. And that's our freedom. And that's also how we have compassion for ourselves as well and flexibility. Oof, you guys, this is, we can go so far down the rabbit hole here. I think there are some, there are other really, really helpful tools for this, um, including ones that have, have to do with, with also understanding how your body feels and actually getting in touch with physical sensations that can be really, really helpful for self-compassion. For example, things like, like meditations personally, and I got to be really, really honest with you guys. My therapist actually asked me to do like very basic breathing exercises and meditation. And for some reason, it's been really, really hard for me to do. And so I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am like fantastic at it. One of the things that has been very helpful for me, um, and I've, and I've talked to lots and lots of clients about this, even ones that are not like, yeah, I'm going to do meditation is body scans. And this is simply like actually letting yourself feel the different parts of your body and recognizing, because I think a lot of the time we like move through life as like a blob, right? Like as a blob of just like, unit of human and so actually identifying that that was a really weird explanation for humanness but whatever um but I think actually like identifying you know going down and and being like what do I feel in my left big toe what does my foot feel like what does my shin feel like and actually working through that is such a powerful part of mindfulness even as someone that is like I'm not really a meditator yet I will at some point probably um those body scans are freaking awesome I love them so much I do it every shavasana like every time I'm like ah body scan time and like no matter what the teacher is talking about I'm always doing a body scan I love it so much and when I had insomnia I found that body scans were like one of the like best ways to help me fall asleep because I would like like Jillian said I would start from my toes and I'd be like all right like relax your toes okay, like now relax like the ball of your foot. Like now relax your heel. Now relax your ankle. And I would literally just like work my way up through my body because there would be bits of weird bits of tension all over the place that you don't realize are there. And you're kind of like holding on to. And like, man, it sounds, I know it sounds weird, but yeah, insomnia wise, incredibly helpful. Incredibly helpful. I, same Holly, I use body scans for helping me sleep as well. And Tara Brack, she has a really great like five minute body scan, which is awesome. Um, but if that feels, sometimes the coming into your body can be a little bit tough. So I often find that just noticing and naming objects can be something to kind of like start with, with, with that to just kind of like bring you back. So it's like just sitting there and just being like, okay, drink bottle, computer, Holy yeah, it's like it's like brilliant. separating the senses, right? Because I right. think it's like like what I was saying, like a human smelling. blob. Yeah, if you smell yeah. something or hear something, just noticing and naming can be a really powerful thing. If like doing a body scan or kind of like feeling your body is something that you're not able to do just yet. And this is also why we're giving like a writing options, physical options, and so on. Because like for example clients I work with on body image and self-compassion around that like sometimes mindful body scans at the beginning of that is like way too much and like not helpful at all and it's really triggering so in that situation like no way we're going to do way more writing exercises and maybe some breathing stuff but we're not going to do mindful body scans at the start of that so like the process the way in which you use these 
like self-compassion techniques is really personal um, and there'll be a path to it. And you'll probably find that eventually all of them will work for you in some form, but they might not all work for you in the same order as someone else. One thing that I just want to make really clear is like self-compassion is not always going easy on yourself. And I think that this is, I think we mentioned this at the beginning, but just to kind of make this very clear is like self-compassion is not always like giving yourself a free pass. It's not like, oh, it's okay. I had a hard week. Like, I think Holly, you explained this well, it is like self-compassion is sometimes giving yourself tough love, but tough love is love. Whereas a lot of the time when we're very stuck in like black or white thinking or perfectionist tendencies and we aren't being self-compassionate, we're not giving ourselves tough love. We're just being tough on ourselves, which is not the same thing. And it's th that's why the acceptance piece is important because the acceptance piece means that we accept suffering, we accept pain, we accept like negative emotions and we accept them as a necessary part of, our of the human experience. They're not like demonized and put aside. And like, that's why self-compassion works is because it's an acceptance of all of that, not just the good bits. Yeah. And that's that, that's that difference between letting yourself go and letting go, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So team, this is a really powerful episode. And I imagine that we will re revisit this topic time and time again over the lifespan of this, such a lovely podcast. So just to kind of recap really quickly, a little bit of what we talked about. So part one, we talked a little bit about definition. So compassion and then understanding self-compassion. So essentially taking something that you probably are showing for someone else and then turning that inwards. Um, and we discussed the elements of self-compassion, which who wants to name off what those are really quickly and then talk about skills and then we'll be done. Yeah, sure. And by the way, the elements we also, I, these are elements that um, I take from Kristen Neff. She's like, like the go-to researcher on this stuff so anyway so the three elements were basically one self-kindness versus self-judgment two common humanity versus isolation three was mindfulness versus over-identification coming to the skill of self-compassion we have sort of step zero step one and step two so the first one is just acknowledging the importance and whether that is kind of like I said like throwing yourself all in or like Holly said kind of letting letting yourself be open to uh, a tiny little crack of it. It's really anything along that, that spectrum, right? None of it, nothing is correct and nothing is incorrect. It's simply like what you are ready and willing and able to commit to at the moment. Um, the second step is noticing and acknowledging your own suffering. Um, this is not like feeling sorry for yourself. This is simply, simply noticing, having a mindful notice, and then working on learning to care for yourself in that moment, which um, maybe we want to do an episode on self-care and actually like what does self-care look like in practice? Does that, did I just let a cat out of the bag that we don't need to let out of a bag? Let, let's, we'll let it emerge from the bag and it can just hang out to one side so that we don't go into the rabbit hole that we could potentially go into. How about this? Moment. If you are listening to this episode and you would like an episode on self-care, send us your self-care questions. How about that? Send us your questions at Be Well Cartel on Instagram uh, about self, send us those questions. And that way we can sort of guesstimate uh, about if and when we should do a podcast on it. How about that? Sounds 
Nice. And um, just, you know, we have mentioned uh, the book Self-Compassion quite a bit by Neff, and it is a very, very, very accessible book. So if you are interested in learning more about this, the like reading that is, it's an easy kind of read um, and it's actually a really nice read. So definitely pick that up. I totally agree. And and also if you're someone that if you're like, I'm not really a reader, she's done some incredible podcast interviews. And so if you just search Kristen Neff and we'll, we'll put her name in the show notes as well on her website. Um, she's great to listen to. She's a great speaker. Um, so with that team, it's, it's almost the holidays as a Jew. I don't even know when Christmas is. I'm not sure when that is. Um, but it's just lovely to see you all. And I can't believe this is our last podcast recording of 2021. It's wild. And we're on podcast that wild. 49. That means we're like three podcasts away from a one year anniversary. That's insane. Whoa. Please do us a favor. If you're listening to this podcast, will you send us what your favorite episode is and or and or what you love about Be Well Cartel? Um, so again, send us your favorite episode or what you love about Be Well Cartel. So it would be so cool for us to share that on our Instagram. I would really appreciate that personally I think Holly and Olivia would also like that yeah Yeah. we'd love it fantastic with that team I'm gonna go eat a lovely fish dinner uh with my grandmother enjoy enjoy